Today, I have a very special guest with you. I know her as Barbara Miller. She is an anointed prayer warrior. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. She's an exhorter. And she's an awesome, awesome teacher, especially on prayer. Barb, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my husband and I and my family moved here to Colorado about 23 years ago. And um, we're from Ohio, but traveling all over the world in the military, my husband said, I want to live in Colorado. I said, I want to live in Florida and Texas, but the Lord brought us here and we're so grateful. And so I have two grown daughters, a wonderful husband and three yummy grandbabies. And so uh, I serve at my church. I'm on staff there as a prayer coordinator and part of our pastoral staff. And we do different pastoral type ministry there. I'm over our counseling department, which I love that too. But prayer is my main thing at my church. And that's what I do. Amen. That's awesome. So when did you first, let's talk about your walk with God. When did you first um, develop a relationship with Jesus Christ? When did you become a Christian? Well, um, many years ago, at the age of 13, however, I made uh, a definite commitment to the Lord. You know how when you're you're young and you just go to church because mom and dad take you or whatever. And so my mom, being a single mom, she gave her life to the Lord when I was about seven or eight years old, maybe a little bit older, maybe nine. And uh, so that was my commitment then. However, at 13, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and um, understood a little bit more about what it meant to be saved. And I just fell in love with the Lord. So I would say at the age of 13 was really when I came to a place of understanding. Okay. So when, when was the first time you actually understood the effectiveness of prayer? So you became a Christian at 13. When did you realize that prayer was actually something that literally works as opposed to say a ritual, how some people like to think it's just a part of Yes, you know, when my mom got saved, she really got saved and she was a prayer warrior. And so, um, but prior to that, uh, um, she, we were in a horrible car accident. Well, no, I have to take that back. She was saved then, but we were in a horrible car accident to the point where we were told that she wouldn't walk, possibly wouldn't live. And if she did, she wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to walk. Her legs were broken, her back, her hips. And so the pastors and different ones from different communities came together and began to pray for my mother. I didn't know much about it. I was six, seven years old and I didn't know I had a bump on my head and that was all I knew. And my mom was in the hospital for a while, but they prayed for her and they believed that God was going to heal her body. And he did just that. My mom walked and and did everything that they said she would not do. But after that, a fire was lit in her, lit in her prior than before. And she began to minister the gospel and pray and teach me and my brothers the importance of prayer. So my mother started that, but when I actually knew about prayer, it was when those people prayed for my mother, even when I didn't know how to pray, you know, a child's prayer, but they prayed and they interceded. And so it went from just praying into intercession and God did it. He heard them. Wow. So it was you seeing the manifestation of prayer that made you a believer at six. So now how Mm -hmm. soon after, so after the car accident and after they prayed for your mom, was her healing uh, immediate? Was it um, say gradual? Do you know how soon? 
You know what? Just from my remembrance, it wasn't immediate, but she she was in the hospital for maybe a month, maybe two. She went through some physical therapy. But the fact even that she was able to do that was a miracle from the Lord. And so um, she was encouraged by that, of course. And I can still see my mom's in heaven now. She went to be with the Lord many years ago um, in my home, actually in my arms. But I can still see one of the, the spots on her leg where she, from the accident, it just kind of put a dent in her leg. And I don't believe the Lord did that, you know, at all. I just believe, though, that that was a reminder to me that God healed her body. And it was a process because sometimes healing is like that. But she did walk. She did minister. She was a prolific musician and songstress herself. And so, yeah. Wow. So you get your gift or your anointing from your mother. You know what? I I believe that. I believe that um, it was I was anointed because God had a purpose and a plan for my life as an individual, but he put me with my mother. He gave me to her for her to raise me and teach me about being anointed, not performing, not anything, not receiving any accolades of yourself, but she taught me that. So I do believe that there was a transference. Actually, when my mom went to be with the Lord, I told the Lord, I said, listen, my mother wasn't finished. And so whatever I don't want to actually have to finish what she was responsible for doing. However, if any of that can transfer to me, I'm, I'm ready. I'm open. I'm willing. And he did that. He did that. So would you compare that to an Elijah, Elisha moment? Where I would actually thought of that. Yeah, okay. I would. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, and I'm actually glad you brought it up how you said how when you learn to, well, I don't want to say sing, but like when you learn how to sing or um sing in church or whatever, you learn the difference between singing and performing. Yes. It, it's not a pretentious thing. Could you just explain that a little bit? Because I know a lot of, you know, a lot of churches, cultures, we have, you know, pretentious mm-hmm. singing and, but then you have yeah. worship and could you just explain right. the difference between the two? Well, you know what? There is a difference. Let me, um, at my church, we have worship leaders who are anointed But this past Sunday, as just an example, one of our pastors who doesn't normally sing got up and she was exhorting and she felt like the Lord wanted her to minister this song. And I'm telling you, the worship was amazing. But when she actually was obedient to minister the song, someone who isn't gifted to sing, she's anointed to teach and preach and all of that. But she began to sing and there was a shift in the atmosphere. Something happened. I felt it right away. People got up, they lifted their hands and it was just one stanza of a hymn, but it came out of the word of God. And so I've seen people who don't even know how to sing or preach or teach, but because there is an anointing upon them for that moment, God uses them. I was raised in a culture where people did a lot of the runs and the different things when they sang and all of that. And I love it all, but that's not really the gift that I have. I can sing, I can write, and I, but I've learned over the years because it took me a while that I can't try to compare myself. You know, there's a scripture that talks about when you compare yourself to others, that's unwise. And so um, I came out of that to the point of realizing listen, Father, whatever you put in me, I want it to be used for your glory. And I, you know, that person sings, there's somebody sleeping under a bridge that can outsing me and anyone else. They've just not been discovered yet. 
Somebody's there that can preach. They've just not been discovered yet. But I want the anointing of God. So if I'm singing and something happens and it doesn't go the way that I want it to or preaching or teaching, I say, Lord, anoint me. You have your way in that. And I've seen God do that. So I'm not a performer. I'm not one to get up in front of people and and advertise my gift and say, this is my gift because it really isn't mine. It's something that God has given me. It belongs to him. I'm just giving it back to him for the betterment and the uplifting and the prayerfully encouragement of the body. So I agree with you because I've heard you saying, well, a lot of people have heard you saying, and exactly what you said happened at your church this Sunday. I believe when you sing, that's the same thing that happens. The Holy Spirit, I feel manifest and something just changes in the atmosphere. So you have that, that anointing that God gave you to bless others with. Um, Also, I would like to ask you, why do you think prayer is so, I'm going to switch a little bit. Why do you think prayer is so underestimated? And let's say America, I don't know the rest of the world, but why do you think it's so underestimated here? You know, and I really feel that it is a misunderstanding about prayer. If people understood what prayer opens the door to, we are actually in audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is allowing us to come into his courtroom, come into his his area where he is, And he speaks to us, he listens to us, and then he speaks to us. It's a relationship. It's a dialogue that we're having with the Father. We're talking, we're communicating. And I believe that it's underestimated because prayer really is a work of the Spirit. It is work. I tell that when I'm teaching. It's not just something that we do, but it is work. So that means it takes uh, determination. It takes patience. It takes consistency consistency. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, it says to pray without ceasing. And so God meant for us to come into his presence continuously, even when we're sleeping. Of course, we're not praying. We're not, our mouths aren't moving, but we are, our body, our spirit is connected to the heavenly father who watches over us through the night. I consider that a form of prayer and relationship because prayer is simply that. It is a relationship with the father. It's a communication with the father. If people understood that, it would not be underestimated, nor would it be so misunderstood. If they understood that we're we're standing in the presence of the Lord, he gives us this opportunity for an audience with him. And then also that even though it takes work and we don't see our prayers often answered right away, that we cannot give up. We cannot be discouraged. We must understand that the Lord provided this means for us so that we can commune with him and he will do what he said he will do. And so I believe it's misunderestimated because people just feel like it's supposed to be easy and it's not always that. I agree. Now, so you said when we even sleep, because I don't believe, I don't, I don't want to say believe, but I don't think a lot of people know that even when you're sleeping, as you were saying, your spirit is still praying. Could you just elaborate just a little bit on that? Yes. I, you know, not so much in the sense that it's, um, it's automated, but in our dreams, we're communicating. God will give us dreams and we're communicating with him. I woke up this morning and even through my sleep, this, but this morning, for instance, one of the songs on the CD is, Are You Ready? I haven't thought about that song in a long time, but I woke up think, hearing the Lord asking me, are you ready? Are you ready? Some of the words are, are you ready for a breakthrough? But this was what I was feeling through the night in my time of sleeping. And when I woke up with it, I knew that I had been meditating on that. 
So meditation is also a form of prayer. When we sleep, we're meditating depending on what we feed ourselves with prior to our sleep. We're meditating on the things of God. And he uses that opportunity to uh, speak with us through dreams, through visions. And so 24 hours a day, we as people of God, believers are should be, we should be in constant contact with him. Even when we're working secular jobs, I just happen to be working in a church, but whatever job we have, he's, we are always cognizant of who he is. We have him on our heart. We have him in our, 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 on our minds. And so to me, that's a form of being in relationship because that's really what prayer is. It is being in relationship. The disciples understood this because when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They knew something was going on when Jesus was talking to the Father, and they wanted that. One thing I love about it, because in the latter part of that, which we call the Lord's Prayer, it says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. I love those three words, those that the, those emphasis on those major words, kingdom, power, and glory. The reason I love it, because in my prayer life, as I've grown to know who he is, he's the kingdom. He's the one who we... Uh, pray to, but he's the kingdom. He's the power. The power that we have when we pray comes from the kingdom and the glory. All of it points back to him. And once we recognize who he is and understand who he is, we're able to pray more effectively. And so I, I love that. Now, I want to yeah. um, go a little bit more into um, an unbeliever. So say if an unbeliever, you know, here, say, for instance, I've heard someone say, uh, years ago, when there was a drought somewhere, a group of, group of people came together and they began to pray. And this person said, you know what? This awful prayer has its place and this is not the place. What would you mm -hmm. say to people who, who would say, you know, prayer has its place? Well, you know what I would say um, to unbelievers specifically the only place that prayer has is for you is when you're asking God to come into your heart. You won't even be able to understand the power of prayer until that happens. And so, yes, it has its place. I would say it has its place in every facet of a true believer's walk, every facet of a true believer's life. And it may be God will make it so that we can explain to people who do not know him how prayer has impacted us, how it can impact their lives, too. But it is the spirit that helps us understand or interpret, if you will, the reason why we pray, the reason why we hold it at such high regard. And so um, if they say, you know, it has its place, I, I would agree to with that. But I would say it has its place in every facet of my life. And uh, one of the things our pastor often has said that when we have an experience, which you and I, we have an experience and many others who are watching this, I'm sure, we are never at the mercy of, an, we're never at the mercy of someone who has an argument about it. All we have to do is explain to them, Jesus loves you. He wants you to understand that he wants to be in a relationship with you. And it begins through true repentance. And then he comes in and then he will expose to you what it means to be in communion with him and in communication. Prayer means nothing really to an unbeliever unless they're in a desperate situation, unless they just are crying out to him because something has happened. But when they have a real encounter, I'm telling you, the play, that, that statement that place has its, prayer has its place will not even be something that a true believer would utter uh, outside of saying it has its place in my life 24 hours a day as it should be. 
I'm glad you brought that part up too, because here's the next question. Does God hear a sinner's prayer? And if so, you kind of elaborated on it. And if so, what type of prayer? I know we kind of touched on it just now, but yeah. does God hear yeah. the prayer of a sinner or an unbeliever or someone who is not born again? You know what? He, he hears everything. He hears, you know, conversations. He hears um, different, he hears everything. But to talk about him hearing means that the ear that he hears from is very different when it's an unbeliever. He is listening and waiting for that opportunity for them to say, Jesus, come into my life. Lord, come into my life. Yeah, he hears all of that. He hears people who don't really know the Lord. But again, when they get desperate, they they want to talk to him or they, they you know, he hears that. But it's not something that he's running to. I know people might say, well, that's kind of harsh to say. It, it isn't because Jesus cares about souls. The father cares about souls. He's waiting for that prayer of repentance. So, yes, he does hear everything. But the prayer that he actually answers in the life of a believer is one of repentance. Father, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. Just that simple. And from that moment on, there's a connection. It's like a marriage. You know, um, we, when we stand before the, the person that's marrying us, then we're connected. But until that time, before that, we're really not in a relationship where we can be extremely in intimate with one another. We, we are not. But once we get married, then we can be intimate with our husbands, our wives, because we have a different type of relationship. And so if that makes sense, that's what I'm trying to say. Although he hears everything, but he's waiting for that unbeliever to say, Father, Jesus, will you come into my life? And so would you say that he's always hungry and wanting and waiting for that one person to say yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. absolutely, I would, yeah. So if you're praying and you feel as if, because I know a lot of people, I've, yeah. probably everyone have experienced praying to God and um, not having a clear answer. So we're waiting, we're expecting it a certain way, um, or we're expecting it at a certain time. What would you say to that? So what would be an answer for that? If a prayer doesn't seem to be answered. Yes. You know what? Um, in John 14, 14, in the New Living or the Amplified, one of those translations, I think it's the New Living, he said, yes, with an exclamation point, ask me anything and I will do it. I believe that uh, there are prayers that we are still waiting on I, in my life. I'm still waiting. But my role in the area of prayer is never to allow, is to pray, believe the Lord, appropriate and allow my faith to work. Um, I'm never really to doubt the thing that I prayed for, no matter how long the delay, unless in James, it talks about praying amidst. We can ask God for things that probably are outside of his will. We can ask, and even sometimes he'll do, he'll answer those prayers uh, because he, he it's his uh, permissive will, but not his perfect will, um, just because he's a wonderful father. But there are times when there are prayers that he will not, that he'll say no to. Just for example, with Paul, when Paul had the thorn in the flesh, he asked God over more than one occasion to deliver him from that. And then he just settled and, and the Lord said no. And then he just reconciled himself to the fact that this was not something that the Lord was going to 
removed from him. He allowed it there for whatever reason. Um, I don't know, you know, who it's, it's, it's debatable whether it was God or, or the enemy, but well, the word says that, that the enemy did this, but God had the power to relieve him, but he didn't. He wanted Paul to, for whatever reason, I guess, continually rely upon him. So sometimes when we ask prayers first, we have to make sure that we're asking it in the proper way. We're not asking this. We're not asking God to do something that's out of his character to do. We're not asking him to punish our husbands just because we're mad at him. We're not asking him to change the mind of our child when they're out doing things that we think are wrong just in that way. God is not a manipulator. So there are ways that we can learn to pray that will allow our prayers to be more so answered. God has protocol and he does things decently. And so that's why we can't just be lazy about learning about prayer because there are doors that open to us the more we know and we begin to see our prayers being answered more frequently. But there are times, you know, that he's he has decided, no, I do believe in those times, just as he did with Paul, he'll say that, he'll let us know, and then we move on. Just like when and um um David was believing the Lord for the healing of his son. Well, the Lord didn't do that. David got up after that and started eating and moving on, you know, and so we just have to know the character of our God. He wants to answer our prayer, but sometimes the answer is no. I agree with that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, a lot of Christians have been wondering if God says no to his children or not. So you basically clear that up. Now there's, Another teaching going around right now about um, it is basically wrong to keep praying for the same thing, because if you keep praying for the same thing more than once, then you have a form of unbelief. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm looking down now because there's a scripture that um, that tells us that that's not truth, because the Bible says ask and keep on asking in Matthew seven and seven in the Amplified. The reading of that, and I want to read it just real quick. It says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find it. So that scripture in, in the King James where it just says, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find. In the Amplifies, it Amplified, it just took it a little bit and expanded it a little bit further. I do not believe that God gets upset with us because we ask him more than once. I don't believe that God says, well, your faith isn't working because you ask more than once. The enemy will do things like that to believers, keeping them thinking that way to keep them out of the presence of the Lord. And what happens? You get frustrated. Well, I've asked you, God, one time. It didn't happen. Now I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I'm doubting the fact that you even hear my prayer. But if I ask God, for instance, I'm asking God for something that's very personal to me. I've asked him once and I'm, I keep on asking him. Sometimes I go from asking to thanking him. And I do believe there, there are times where we have to move into the thanking mode, but I don't believe that there's a number put on how many times we can ask the Lord. It has nothing to do with our faith being uh, going away or us not believing God. It just means that we're talking to our father, just like a child comes and you, your child may ask, or my, my grandchildren may ask me now in the stage that I'm in for something, and I may say no, but then I, I'm wanting to see how they're going to handle that first no. I'm wanting to see if they're going to pout, if they're going to 
you know, if it's something that they really want, they're going to be persistent about it. They come back and they ask again and they may ask again. And then finally, I may give that to them. It's not because I'm just wanting them to beg me. God isn't wanting us to beg him, but I want to see the persistence. One thing we have to understand about the father is that he is not a sugar daddy. He is not one that we can just ask him and expect him to do it. And when he does it, then we move on. He is our father. And everything he does is in accordance to his betterment of for us, strengthening us, maturing us, growing us up. And then we learn to rely upon him. And when we see that uh, we've learned to rely upon him, we don't doubt that he's going to do what we've asked him to do. But I may ask again, and then he may just do it right just then. That's just how he is. And so um, understanding the character of the father helps us in our prayer walk to understand that when we ask, and he does it, or when we ask, 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 and he does it then, it's the same God, same principle. We're just growing up in him. That's a great explanation. Yeah. I love that because my next question was basically, why would God allow you to keep on asking? Mm -hmm. So you basically answer that question. Now, mm -hmm. have you ever prayed or interceded for something or situation and a miracle came about or a healing came about? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I have to say yes and yes. I've seen it happen many times in other people's lives as well as my own. Um, years ago, my daughter is older now, much older. She's an adult. But years ago, um, I, we, I was maybe seven months pregnant and I went to the doctor and they, you know, did the blood work, the normal checkups. And all of a sudden the nurse ran in and she said, oh my gosh, what did you do? And I'm like, oh my goodness, what do you mean? And all these doctors come in. So it just happened where she, the baby wasn't ready to come because she was only seven months, but uh, I had developed something that they said that if they didn't take the baby, that I could die or the baby could die. So they asked my husband, um, who did he want them to say back then? That was years ago. They don't do that now. And they have more things happening where you don't have to worry about that. But um, and of course, he said me, but he never told me that until after everything was over. But he and I, this young couple away from family in the military, we began to pray and trust God. And even when they said that this baby would not survive, we said, God promised us this child. We had already lost one. And I, I remember when they were getting ready to do a C-section and I said, no, you don't need to do a C-section. She's here, she's coming. And they said, no. And then they discovered that I was right. And then within minutes of time, she was born. Born at two pounds, six ounces, uh, very sick. She had to have surgery at four days old and just very tiny in the hospital for two months. We kept praying, we kept praying and we saw God work a miracle in, in our baby's life. Now she's the one that's given us these three grandchildren because God is faithful. He's always faithful. I've had friends. I had a friend who was very dear to me who had stage four cancer. We prayed for her. The doctor said six months. God wanted to show this doctor something to the point that she lived for 10 more years 
doing and fulfilling what God had called her to do. And when she died, it wasn't because of that same situation. And so I saw a miracle in that. I saw God extend her life. I've seen God heal cancer for people that we prayed for and not just me alone. I've seen God deliver people from demon possession where they've come in and they're stripping clothes off and acting all unseemly. And we laid hands or we spoke to that that principality or that demon that was in that person, and they were relieved of that. I've seen God work supernatural miracles over my, my entire life, even in my myself, uh, my body, I've seen him do it. So, yeah, I, I know what he can do. So yes, to answer to your question. That's, that's amazing because I feel like your life is a testimony. Our lives are testimonies for other people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is there anything God won't heal? Is there anything God won't do? You know what? I I'm careful when I answer the question because that goes back to sometimes the no. There's not anything that he cannot do. Nothing is impossible with him, but there are some things that he just he won't do for whatever reason. But there he can do all things. He's he's able to do all things. God is sovereign. And one thing I've understood and learned over the 40 something years that I've been in the Lord that he is with his sovereignty, doesn't feel that he has to explain everything to me at that moment, but he is building and, and continually building my hope, my faith in him. I know nothing is too hard for him. So when I pray for people, I tell them, we're going to agree. We're going to stretch our faith. We're going to agree. We're going to appropriate and apply our faith to this situation. And we're going to watch God do it. I never say, now he's, he might not or he may not, that's not in my vocabulary when I'm praying for someone, because I go in believing that God will do. If he chooses not to do it the way that I feel he should do it or desire him to do, or they desire, that has nothing to do with it. We're, I, I don't speak that. I trust God. And I mean that. I genuinely trust God to do what I know he's able to do. So in answer to your question, there's nothing that he cannot do, but there are some things that he won't do. And that takes us back to that Paul situation when he asked about the thorn. He just, he could do it, but he just did not. Are you looking for some deep believing, bold quoted Christian t-shirts, hoodies, or sweaters? Look no further. Visit myjesusfriend.com to get 10% off whatever you want when you enter promo code BELIEVER21. That's www.myjesusfriend.com. Here's another question for you. Now, this is a popular question. I believe because times are changing. I feel like we're like in the end days or last days. Or three o'clock in the morning. A lot of people have had experiences three o'clock in the morning. I know a lot of believers have said they've been waking up usually at the hour of three o'clock, sometime at three o'clock in the morning. They don't know why it's always at three o'clock. Sometimes Thursday, yeah. right? But then you have the secular world who speaks of the three o'clock hour, how they call it the devil's hour. But then you have mm-hmm. some who call it God's hour. Could you just elaborate on that and why three o'clock? Well, you know what? There are eight watches in a night. The first one begins from six to nine p.m., nine to midnight, midnight to three, and then so on. So there's there's eight. Um, that three o'clock hour, that hour between 12 and 3 a.m., is the, called the third watch. 
there are many demonic things that are happening between that time from 12 to three. That's the time when witches and warlocks, people may say, well, we don't believe in that. They are real, they are real, just as heaven and hell are real. And so they, that's when they are doing what they do. They're conjuring up spells. They're, they're taking those nights because what they know is that most people are sleeping during that time. So God will wake people at certain hours, particularly the third, the, the three o'clock hour, because that way we can counteract what the enemy is trying to do. Some people call it the witching hour because there is witch activity that is happening. It doesn't matter whether they call it the witching hour or not. When God awakes us at any given hour during the night, particularly three, um, if this is where people are waking up, they must be obedient to awake, awaken. Now, he's not going to wake a novice up to pray against witches and all the demonic activity. He is going to wake. This is for seasoned intercessors or those who are becoming so. So he will wake us up and say, pray. He will. And, and sometimes you don't just start rambling off prayers. You wait a moment and you ask God what it is that I'm specifically targeting. And I believe the Lord will give that to us. If you if he wakes you up right before three, you've had a dream or something. That dream may have something to do with that three o'clock hour. But anytime he wakes us up, whether it's two or six, we are to get up and pray because each hour represents something. Each watch represents something. And God wants to be in control of each one. And that three o'clock to uh, six o'clock in the morning is the fourth watch. And so it, it they kind of overlap. So you that's the time when the dem demonic things are, are uh, dispersing and they're going back to where they came from and they've, they've settled down. Then we can put things back in order. So the three o'clock, the 12 to three, we are coming against and canceling assignments and anything that perhaps has gotten through, if you will, from that three to six hour, we're putting things back in order. We're decreeing that what they've decreed will not be. We're praying protection. We're praying uh, that these principalities and powers are not as, as effective as they desire to be or effective at all. And so none of these, these particular hours are for novice. That's why people don't talk about them too much. This is for people who are spiritually sound, mature intercessors who understand the voice of God and who pray out the will of God during that time and who are not in fear because sometimes some things can happen during those hours that would cause fear and we're not to be in fear. So I don't know you, if that answers. I think you did fantastic to be honest. I think you answered so many questions for a lot of people. So I'm going to go deeper into that. Do you believe that <laughs> that's the time when the most spiritual warfare happened in a day? I don't know if I can say that in particular, but for some reason, the enemy chose though that hour during that three o'clock time, if you will. Um, there is there is a lot of spiritual warfare and activity going on and understanding really what warfare is or um, it's more of demonic things that are taking place, not, and, and it is warfare, but warfare can happen 20, in 24 hours. One thing about the enemy, he wants to control everything. But during those particular hours, there are people who have lent, the, lent themselves to him for, their, for his working. And so um, I would say that there is more demonic activity that happens. And, but I don't know if it's so much warfare because warfare can mean some other things as well. Could you yeah. elaborate on the other things? Okay. Warfare? So, so a warfare could be that um, um, 
there are some things that God has called us to do as believers or an individual, and they are experiencing so many things that are coming against them that is hindering them from doing that particular thing. That's warfare. Um, warfare is when uh, we're praying for something and the enemy tries to come against our mind to keep us, to get us in a place of doubt and unbelief. So that's, that's spiritual warfare. Okay, spiritual warfare. Um, a lot of people think I stub my toe, that's spiritual warfare. Warring in the spirit means that we are laboring. We're laboring. And so um, sometimes in those times we're laboring for, for justice and righteousness and holiness to prevail. But then in other times we're, we're laboring for something, we're birthing something out. And there are things that come against us to prevent us from doing that. I have a prayer assignment right now that I'm uh pregnant with, if you will. And, um, and it's, it deals with unity and it deals with coming together um, and, and, dis, and bringing the body of Christ back together. There's so many divisions um, and I don't want to go into it because I know that's not what we're talking about, but there's divisions that are happening among races, among the church. And I believe that God has given that to me as a prayer assignment because that's not uh, who he is and it's not what he's about. And as believers, we must come together and we've been blinded by so many things and activities that have happened and particularly in our nation that has pulled us and divided us in the church. And God is saying, come back together because where there is unity, there is that commanded blessing. And when we do come back together, we'll be able to come against these powers and principalities that have uh, just taken over. And so that's warfare. And so... That's that's what I'm warring over now and praying over. And you yeah. do believe that the Lord is going to mend everything back together. What's been broken? Yep, I do. If we allow him to, Jennifer, if we allow him to, we don't understand the authority and the power that we walk in in the earth. But we have great authority. We actually are the legislators here. We are ambassadors. We live here in this body, you know, and, and, and we understand about spirit, soul, and body. We live here in this body, but we are actually in the kingdom now. We, we are, what we do is related to the kingdom. Everything about us is there. I even would go as far as to say that, no, I'm, I'm not in the kingdom per se, as far as my body being there, but my spirit man is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm just here to legislate what the kingdom is already doing. There, the, the kingdom is already doing, there's, there's unity in the kingdom, there's authority, there's power. And I'm here in the earth, you're here in the earth to bring the kingdom glory to this place, to this terra firma, to this actual place where we can understand and come together. And so what the enemy will do is he will keep bodies divided and keep us fighting against one another. And that's never been the will of God, but it's always been. So I believe God can, yes, bring us back together, even if it's in small groups of people. I have several, several different prayer groups uh, that I oversee, but small groups of people coming together in one accord, one mind, I believe that we can do great and powerful things. Do you, would you say that we have direct access, direct spiritual access to the throne of God when we pray? Oh my goodness, yep. I do. Could you please elaborate on that? Because many people do not know this gift and, and privilege and benefit that we have as children of God. Could you just explain that? The Bible says, and I'm sorry if I can't remember the address to it, but it says to come boldly before the throne. That means that we're not to cower, that we're his children. 
we can come boldly into the courtroom of heaven, if you will, or before his throne. We can ask him anything in accordance to his will. So when I do, I'm, I honor the father. I, I fear the father, which means that I reverence and honor him. Now, I'm not afraid, but I honor him. But I'm also able to come boldly before the throne because Jesus paid the cost, the price for me to be able to do that. I'm his daughter. He loves to talk with me. He loves to hear from me. Um, for me, knowing him as the father means maybe a little bit more because I never knew who my earthly father was. To this day, I still don't know. And so when I gave my life to the Lord at a young age, I began to um, understand that he was my father and pop and the only one that I was going to have. And so my relationship with him was a bit deeper than maybe had I had a natural father, I don't know. But I know that I can talk to him about anything. I can boldly come before him. And it is the trick of the enemy to keep the body of Christ out of a bold posture before their father. Because he knows that once we understand that and we develop that true relationship with the father as he desires, then there is nothing that is kept from us and no power that the wicked one has over us, none whatsoever. And I'm, so, glad, I'm, I'm glad you brought that part up because, um, and I'm going to get to the next question. Do you believe yeah. that the enemy has basically messed up families, um, specifically mm. um, extracting fathers out of households in order or out of families in order to break up the connection with the actual father? Yeah, that's everything he does he does opposite of um, what is to happen and what is happening in the kingdom. So yes, he would come to, to destroy homes and destroy families, even so to the point of just a smidgen deeper on that, that he brings this unity. So he comes in, he brings this unity between the husband and the wife because the wife perhaps has stepped out of her position of honoring and submitting, although the Bible says that we're to submit to one another and the husband has got out of his position or relinquished his position as the head of the home. And so sometimes wives are frustrated because they feel like they have to take the lead role, which has never been, never to be. The husband is frustrated because he wants the lead role, but may not know how. And so this is where others come in to say, listen, this is how you husband, as much as we can tell you in accordance to the word, this is how you wife in accordance to the word. And yes, there are going to be frustrations. My husband and I have been married for 39 years. This week, uh, over the weekend, was our 39th anniversary. It's hard, it's hard to even believe it. Um, but we went through some difficult periods of, in our marriage because we were out of position. Um, I was, wasn't submitting. Um, I took it for granted, the, the type of person that I had, and expected him always to be consistent. Well, we all know that people change. People change. He took it for granted, thinking that I was going to be that person. And this happened at our 10-year mark, even to the point where we were talking about divorce. I hate to even say the word, because God hates divorce. And so, but we went through that. We prayed and I prayed and he prayed and God brought us to the point where we are now. Do we still have differences? Yes, we do. But we understand our role. 
I even submission is is not a, just in agreement. Submission is when you say you yield to that, even when you may not understand it completely. Because what I've learned is that he has to remain the head because that's how it is in heaven. The father is the head of us. The, the father is the head of all of us. And so if, if as my husband or any husband learns how to love the wife as Christ loved that he gave himself, then I don't have to worry so much about being uh, mistreated or abused. That doesn't mean that we don't refresh one another's remembrance about things because we just do. I honor and submit to him. I know how to speak to him. I know how to be patient with him. But yes, in answer to your question, the enemy wants to bring destruction to the family because we are to mirror heaven. And as we mirror heaven, he has no nothing that he can do. But when we don't mirror heaven, then he can come in and he can bring the destruction that he desires to do. I believe that's a yeah. brilliant answer. And I think that helps a lot of people out who are wondering who, because there's, yeah. I know America has a lot of broken homes. And I, yeah. I believe what you just said will really encourage a lot of people. I'm going to go back to the throne room real quick. How okay. would one say, okay, so we've heard you say, you know, we can go to the throne room because we have that access with children of God. How mm -hmm. would you instruct um, someone who would like to get to the throne, how would you say you would get there spiritually? Are you meaning as a, a believer? As a believer, as a believer, because we know unbelievers can't get there. So right. that's right. Yeah. So when we pray, how would you, what would you say? And what is the purpose of going directly to the throne of God in prayer? You know what, when I say the throne, I just mean at the feet of the father, you know, um, I don't know what, heaven looks like per se, because I've never visited there. Um, but I do believe that God is, uh, wherever he is, he is readily available to the believer. So if someone doesn't know how to access that place, it's so simple to say to, to the Lord, you know what, just like the disciples did, Father, now I, I just want another, a deep, different relationship with you. I want to be able to come into your presence, come into your throne room, your courtroom, wherever you are. And I want to be able to commune with you. Just something as simple as that and he will do it. And so when we ask the father to teach us how to get there, he's the one that will direct us. It may be different for me than it is for you. Um, there um, are times when I'm, I, cause I, I feel like I'm praying all the time and I'm sure you are too, but I can be in my kitchen and be in the presence of God. If there is a difference, of course, whether I'm in my prayer room, because that's designated time, but something may drop in my spirit where right then I'm in the presence of the Lord. That's why we make sure that we guard our hearts. So this is one of the answers. We guard our hearts because we don't want anything in there that's going to separate us from the Lord. I don't want to be repenting all the time because I've done something. You know, I, I just want to make sure that I'm living a life that's holy, pleasing and acceptable to him so that when I do come before him, he's welcoming me. But it's nothing that you have to do ritualistically or religiously. He's not a religious God. He is just a father that wants us to come into his presence. One quick story. Years ago, I was in my kitchen and um, and I was cleaning. I heard the father calling me into my prayer room, down to my prayer room. And I said, okay, God, I'm going. Let me just finish wiping off this shelf, wiping off this counter. And so I did. And then I heard him again, Barbara, come spend time with me. I said, okay, I will. Let me throw this load of laundry in. A third time I heard him say, Barbara, come be with me. And I was getting ready to sweep the floor 
or do something like that. And finally, I had to say, uh, he, he really wants to spend time with me. There's something he wants to share with me. So the moment I went downstairs to my basement, I crossed into my prayer room. I smelled this wonderful aroma that I'd not smelled before. Now I like candles and everything, but it wasn't even like that. But I literally stepped back out of my room, looked around in our family area to make sure that I hadn't left a candle lit. I crossed back into my prayer room and I immediately heard the father say, I told you that if you came, I will meet you here because that's what he had been saying. And I, I, the Roma stayed with me, but I was able, I, I was on my face before him and hours later and the house was fine. It hadn't burnt down. The room was still in the same place, but hours later, and he began to give me revelation about some things. And so I've learned to not ignore the voice of God. I don't do it perfectly. You know, there are times I still put a, a, a delay on things, but my heart is to be in relationship with him. So I would tell anyone, just begin, Lord, I, I just want to be in relationship with you. I don't really know how to do this, perhaps they may say, or some seasoned people may say, Lord, I do know how, so help me to do it better. He will do it because his desire is to be in constant communication with us, all for the glory of the kingdom. It's, you know, he's, we, we're saved but he's do, he's what he does in us is for the benefit of others who don't know, who who do not know him. I was so fascinated when you said how the Lord told you to come come to him, and then once you yeah. stepped out, you smelled a beautiful aroma. Are you mm -hmm. saying that the Lord has a beautiful aroma? He absolutely does, and he has even more than that that he's just waiting to expose to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. We, yeah. Okay, and um, what would you say about speaking in tongues, praying in tongues? Um, there's been, we all know, there's misconception about praying in tongues. Could you just explain tongues, the power of tongues, and why it may be misunderstood? Well, listen, I've been praying in tongues since I was 13, and I knew something that God had something for me when I gave my life to the Lord. Now, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and some of your viewers may be able to relate, but it, praying in tongues wasn't just as it is now, the Holy Spirit living in us already, and all he's asking for is permission to speak through us and, and from us. And so, um, it wasn't that way. They would have us tearing, which they called just calling on Jesus and doing all of the ritualistic things. Um, and I don't burn any bridges because I grew up in a good church, but all of those things that are not necessary because the Holy Spirit actually lives on the inside of us. And so I pray more in the spirit than I do in my natural tongue, in my natural language. I pray more the word of God than I do my natural. I'm just reading the scriptures out. But praying in tongues in, uh, I believe, it's 2 Corinthians, where it talks about how the, the spirit makes intercession for us. So as an intercessor, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to pray out of me and through me because he's making intercession for me and he's giving mysteries. He's exposing things that my natural man perhaps would not know. There are different several different types of tongues. I, I shouldn't say several, but there's one when we are infilled with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then there's one that is utilized to pray out to the Father, to speak to the Father. Number one, the enemy doesn't know what we're saying. 
And so we're praying secrets and mysteries that God is unfolding and exposing. There's another, which is, you know, we won't touch on that so much, I guess, but there's an interpretation. Someone gets up in a, a, a corporate assembly and someone prays out in tongues and then there's someone else or that individual will give the interpretation of that. God just, I believe, allowed the Holy Spirit to have his part. So the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what allows us to pray out in the spirit, in tongues. I am a proponent of praying in tongues, number one, because it is a war, it is a, a weapon of warfare. That is a weapon of warfare. When I pray in the spirit, I'm telling you, there are things that we're bringing, that we're tearing down, that we're releasing from the kingdom of God. I'm not talking to the devil. I'm talking to the, to the father. And he's talking through me, releasing things out in the atmosphere. Atmosphere shifts. Things change. And it's another level. And so it's, it's another level that God has opened up for us. If we're satisfied with just praying with our own tongue, that's fine. Do we have to pray in tongues in order to get to heaven? No, you've asked the Lord into your heart, but you're missing out on that next level, that next level. And many people, I must say this, I want to say it prophetically, that many people can be frustrated and are frustrated. And some of you that are joining are frustrated because you have come to this plateau. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you that if you will allow him to do so, he will begin to pray out of you. And you may say, well, how does that happen? This is what you do. You just say, you begin to talk to the Lord and then you tell yourself, no more English and I'm going to allow the spirit to pray. Your tongue may not sound like anything else that you have heard. You may have a few syllables. You keep practicing that because as you grow, it will mature. But rest assured that speaking in tongues, praying with the spirit in the spirit is for you. And so you've asked that question, God is answering it, yes. It's for you. So why do you think it's so attacked? Do you think it's attacked because it's a it's a war weapon? It's a spiritual warfare weapon? It is. And the enemy does not want us to know all the things that God has for us. He may not understand, but he understands who's speaking. And so he understands that there are mysteries and secrets that are being released to us. When I pray in the spirit, I always keep... Uh, I shouldn't say always, when I'm able to have a notepad and there's some things that God will begin to speak to me through the interpretation of that tongue. And I'll write them out. They may be instructions. They may be prayers that I'm to pray out. He's letting me know what I've been praying for. He may be showing me what he's getting ready to do in a search, a situation. Um, he may, may be revealing things. So there's many things that happen. And so the enemy doesn't want me to understand or you to understand any of those things. He's been to the kingdom. He understands heaven. He's seen, he's seen the glory of God. And he understands that God has so many things that he's revealing to us, his people, that he does not want us to understand and know. And so once we know it, we're able to come against our enemy in a different way. Um, there's a book called um, uh, The Art of Spiritual War. And it's a, a, a Japanese or a Chinese general who in the 1800s, he wrote, he wrote this book as a weapon and, and we use it in our military to this day. He wrote it as information. And one of the things he said in there is, if you know your enemy and what he does and how he does, then you're able to defeat him in a way that's unexpected. And that's paraphrasing what he said. It is the same in Christendom. If we know the enemy, then we're able to use the weapons of the kingdom of heaven to come against him in a way that's unexpected to him. 
That's powerful. I love it. That's awesome. I haven't heard it explained like that before. So what would you say to the viewers who are like, I would love to learn how to pray. This, you know, conversation is on prayer, but I just don't know how. I don't know what to say. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not articulate. What would you say to them and how would you instruct them on how to pray? You know what? I would say that the Lord wants them to pray. And so therefore he's making it easy for them to. And if they say that they don't know how, just like the disciples said, teach us to pray, learn the word of God, read, start in the Psalms, open up Psalms and begin to, to, to make that a prayer. Psalms 91 is a very good one because it covers so much. And so begin to pray out that Psalm and put their name um, where it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high. I, Barbara, am dwelling in the secret place of the most high. Begin to replace that with your name and pray that out to the point of memorization. God is not saying, I want you to know Genesis to Revelation. He's saying, I just want you to take my word and uh, allow it to become alive in you. So that's first thing, find the word of God if you can't pray in your own. And then God will begin to add words to that the, the prayer that you're praying out of the word of God. You can never mess up by the word of God anyway. So find the Psalms, the Proverbs, uh, some of the things in the New Testament, of course, and make that your prayer. And then again, as you pray, God will add to it. He will add to it. So you may not know how to pray to write out prayers. Many people can write out prayers. Um, I, uh, my team and I put together this little booklet years ago uh, about praying for the seven mountains. And we had prayers in there. Many people have done that. And those are good, too. But God wants to hear from us. There comes some time when he wants to hear from us. So his word is always good because we're reminding him of his word, as he said to do. So just pick the word of God up and begin to read that out. And then don't try to pray like anyone else too. I think people get stumped because they try to compare themselves and, oh, that person, he really can pray. Yes, he can pray and you can too. Just don't try to pray like they do. Ask God to give it to you. As much as the glory of God is in the way you teach, the glory of God is in your songs and the way you sing to God. Mm. Would you please tell us about your album? Okay. Well, I have to say it's it's one that I did several years ago. And I've been writing songs since I was a teenager. The church that I was in, my choir, our choir there would sing some of the songs that I wrote. And I never even thought about recording them at that time. And so um, when I was in, we were stationed in the Philippines. And then we were stationed in Germany and then Hawaii. I was writing songs throughout that whole time and just putting them in a book. When we came to here, it was time. The Lord said, it's time for you to record. He told me the age that I was going to be when I did. And um, and so and it, it came to pass. And so um, I, I went into the studio and I just recorded a, a song. I say studio. It was a live recording, but then I had to go back in the studio. But it, um And I met these producers out of uh, uh, Connecticut and they, yeah, you know about Connecticut and they, we just met them and fell in love with them and they produced my CD and it's called Dreamer. And um, 
I haven't really done a whole lot. Sometimes I travel, but when I do travel, I do more teaching than I do singing. Um, but I love worship. I love singing and I'm still writing songs. And I just so happened to talk to them um, or talk to um, the wife a few weeks ago or last week, really. And we were just talking and she knows that I want to do some more recording. And so we're going to just do it. Um, I want to record some prayer things and some music things and, and all of that. But yeah, it's called Dreamer. I did a single called Don't Forget About Him. It's a Christmas single. And I just love it. I love how God will give us uh, a way to minister for him. My son-in-law is a, a rap recorder, Christian rap person. And so um, he's going to put some things out for me because the Lord says it's time. And I there's a song title on there called It's Time. And that's what he's been saying to me. It's time, Barbara, to get back out there and do some things. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, I I don't. My My temperament is introverted. So sometimes I have to be pushed to do things. But when it comes to the things of God, I take that very seriously. And I do not want to be disobedient. Well, I'll have a link at the bottom of this video. So okay. viewers can uh, purchase your album. It's fantastic. And Barbara, yeah. could you please close us out in prayer? Because that is your, your anointing. All right. I will do it. Father, thank you so much um, just for this time. I thank you for Jennifer and how you are... Uh, anointed her, how you have anointed her to do this for such a time as this. And I pray God for the viewers that are watching and those that will watch at another time and uh, God that you will anoint them and appoint them specifically to prayer, that they understand that you're calling them to this for such a time as this for prayer, that you want to communicate with them, not just because you want to give them the desires of their heart, but you want your desires to be placed in them so that they can change the world. That is what you desire for us to do, whether it's rocking babies or whether it's bagging someone's groceries, we can touch a life. So I pray for every believer who's been stumped by prayer or halted by the thought of prayer or intimidated. I come against the spirit of intimidation. I come against the spirit of that would divert you from praying and going on to something else. I even come against that spirit that would say you have to pray for hours in order to touch God. I pray for a five minute anointing to come on your viewers. I pray for a five minute anointing to come on your people that they say, I'm going to dedicate five minutes today, every day. I do prophesy this, that five minutes a day will bring a definite change in your walk, your talk and your life. And I hear the Lord saying that if you would dedicate five minutes of time a day to him, you will see your prayers come to fruition. You will see the desires of your heart come to fruition. You will see God move in your life. So Father, we thank you for that. and We bless you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Barbara. I've enjoyed this conversation with you. I know that you've blessed so many watching today. I would love to have you on one day soon. Okay. That amen. 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 Thank, Thank you, you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Bless Thank you. you.
Are you looking for some deep believing, bold quoted Christian t-shirts, hoodies, or sweaters? Look no further. Visit MyJesusFriend.com to get 10% off whatever you want when you enter promo code BELIEVER21. That's www.MyJesusFriend.com. 